Twice a year here at Calvary, one of the things that we do as a church is we'll take three days twice a year and we'll have a time of focused prayer. We'll say prayer and fasting. Now some people will be praying, some of us will be praying and fasting over the next couple of days. But in that we always pray for three things. One of the things that we pray for are the people around us that need to come into a relationship with the Lord. So we spend some time praying about that. We pray about what God wants to do in the life of this church. And so one of the things you'll know is, is that uh, God has been growing our church over the last few years, which has been a wonderful thing. We used to be two services, now we're three services, three services and two auditoriums. And so that, that's a really great thing, and we're in the middle of a building project. And so lots going on there. So we need your prayer on that. And then we always pray for a personal breakthrough. Every one of us is praying for something. If there's, there's that one area in our life that, that uh, if God would do that one thing in that area, our whole lives would be different. And it's different for each and every one of us, but we all have that one area that we'd like to see something take place. So um, we're going to take the next three days and we're going to spend a time of prayer and fasting. And then Wednesday night we come back together, there's a time of worship, and then uh, we'll, we'll break that time of fasting and there'll be, be food here. If you're going to participate in that, I want you to write the word fast on the front of your connection card and then drop that in one of the offering boxes on the way out after the service today. So I wanted to go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is such a great book because God has given Nehemiah a great vision of what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish. And so we would call that a God-given vision. And, and a, a vision is, is a picture of a destination, what it looks like when it's all completed. And so our goal is always to discover what God's vision is for our life and then to align ourselves with what it is that God wants to accomplish. So Nehemiah has accomplished a great vision from God. And, and the time frame here is 445 BC. And uh, God has given Nehemiah this vision to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls around the city. Now uh, Jerusalem at this time has been decimated and that's kind of a story for another day. But, but God gives, um, gives Nehemiah this vision to go back. Now there's a problem with this. Nehemiah is living in Iraq at the time. Uh, it was under the Persian Empire. He's about 800 miles from, from Jerusalem and he's never actually been to Jerusalem. And so he, he feels called by God to go back. So his situation begins, and all God-given visions uh, tend to begin with this sense of it's impossible. If God doesn't do something, there's no way that this can take place. So God begins to move, and he's able to go back, and he's, as he goes back to Jerusalem, he begins to rally the people, and then he begins to run into all kinds of opposition. And uh, so one of the things that we find, as we've been sharing over the last couple of years, as, as God has given us, we believe as a congregation, a vision to continue to move forward to reach people and to actually build a bu building, there, there's been all kinds of opposition. And so whatever it is in your life where God's given you a, a vision, something that, that he wants you to accomplish, something he wants to do through you, one of the things you're going to find is there's going to be a great deal of opposition. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit today. So uh, when we talk about this, and for, for many of us, again, we're going to be looking at this through the eyes of Nehemiah, and, uh, but I think we, it's also important for us to look at in our own lives the God-given vision and some of the things that are taking place. And so I think some of this is going to resonate with us on a very personal level, and then certainly for us as a congregation. So I've asked you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem, and as he's coming into uh, begin what it is that God's called him to do, the, the, uh, the opposition begins. So we're going to hop, skip, and jump in chapter 2. In uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, is everybody there by the way? 
verse 2, as he comes back, it says, Now when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So they are bugged that somebody is coming to help God's people and to reach God's people. And this really bugs them. So uh, there in your outline, you'll see it says the source of the opposition. So first of all, there's this guy that we call Sanballat, but his name just means a Persian satrap or a governor. He's somebody who works for the government. So uh, there, there's governmental issues there, and that's part of the, the opposition of what God wants to do. But then there's this guy called Tobiah. Now it says Tobiah the Ammonite. We read this in English, and it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. We just, just kind of read it. But Tobiah is actually a Hebrew name. And uh, yet the Bible also wants us to know that he's an Ammonite. So he has a name that we might think would make him a, a believer, but he's actually an Ammonite, and the Ammonites were not believers. And, and this guy is going to be very hostile to anything that God wants to do. So you notice in verse 10 there's Sanballat and then there's Tobiah. And if you go down to verse 19 of, of uh, chapter 2, it says, Now when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is the thing you're doing? You're rebelling against the king. So what I, what I wanted to say there is it starts off and the opposition is two. You get a few verses down and now it's three. The opposition only begins to grow. And that's going to be important for our study today. And uh, so let's go to chapter four, which is what we're going to look at today. And, and I want you to, to just go down to verse seven of chapter four before we begin. We saw that there was two, then there was three. And then in verse seven, it says, now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, plural, the Ammonites, plural, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls had, uh, from Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. So what we notice is that as Nehemiah is going forward and what it is that God has called him to do, the opposition is not decreasing. It just seems like it just keeps adding to. So now it's people groups who are, who are upset about what God is doing. Does that make sense so far? So, so what we find, and I want you to write this down, is that when God says go, Satan will oppose. And what Satan was doing 2,500 years ago is the very same thing that he does today in our lives. So, so what, what are the tax, tactics that Satan uses to bring about opposition? Well, I'm going to uh, read the first three verses of chapter 4, and it says, now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And I've underlined that, furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? What are, are they going to, and I've underlined the word feeble, are they going to restore it for themselves? You might want to underline that. That'll be important for our, our story. Uh, can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? And underline that, we'll explain that. Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble and even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, you have to read this next part with kind of a whiny voice, I think. So Tobiah says, well, even, even if they're building, if, if a fox would jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Yeah. You have to add that yeah on the end of it. It's, it's, it's actually in the original language. But when, when, I read, when I read about Sam Ballot doing this, I have it in my mind for those of you who are old enough to remember when cartoons were cartoons, um, there was the great Bugs Bunny cartoon and you had the Martian 
And he was always, and he'd always say, "I'm so angry. I'm going to blow up the world." Remember that? So that's that's how I have Sam Ballet. And when he speaks, and I read that, that's how I read that. So so we notice that they're furious and they're angry about actually helping God's people, reaching God's people, rebuilding rebuilding the wall. And so one of the things that they use, and this is this is what Satan will use in in our lives. Um, he'll use number one. You want to write down ridicule. And in verse 1 it said mock. They, they mock them. So they'll use mocking. You can't get this done. And uh, you know, the, the thing is, if, if you're saying that it can't be done, then why would you be so angry about it? So they're, they're mocking. And then the, uh, we, we had you underline the word feeble, however your Bible said it. And that's their way of saying that, that uh, Nehemiah and these people, they don't have it together. They don't know what they're doing. And then uh, when it says that they re- they'll restore it for themselves. And what that means is that they're just questioning their motives. Anytime you launch out to do something for God, somebody's going to question your motives. And, uh, and, for, you know, the, the, and then I'll say, can they finish in a day? And what they're doing there is they're questioning their commitment. And what they're saying is if they can't finish it in a day, these people don't have enough commitment. They're not going to go two or three days doing this. So that's why they, they say that. And then they say, revive the stones of rubble. You know, even if they are committed, they can't, they can't really do it because they just don't have the resources. So here, Sam Ballot is having this public meeting, and uh, they're angry. And again, if all that they say, said was true, then why would they be so angry? They, they should just expect it's going to go away. And then one of the things that we find is that ridicule tends to be contagious. So Sam Ballad is saying all of this, and then you get down to verse 3, and it says, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, it would break down their, stall, uh, break, break down their, stone, their stone wall down. So it's, it's, it's contagious. And so what Tobiah is doing is he's, he's attacking their competence, their ability to do that. Now what I love about this is you're not going to see Nehemiah responding here to Samballot and Tobiah. So the next verse doesn't say, uh, Nehemiah says, oh that's not true. If a hundred foxes jumped on it, it still wouldn't hurt it. He doesn't say that. But So what does he do? Well verse 4 and 5 it says, hear O our God, uh, how we are despised. So he's praying. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity and do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you for they have, and I want you to underline the word, demoralized the builders. That's a nice spiritual prayer. <laughs> We're going to come back to that prayer. Uh, but I did want you to underline the word demoralized because that's what's taking place in the people because of what's taking place through Sam Ballot and Tobiah and some of the other opposition. So again, we'll come back to that. So the second tactic uh, that, that they're going to use, the first one's going to be ridicule, but the second tactic that we're going to find is resistance. And so in verse 6, 6 through 8, it says, so we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half, underline the word half, its height. For the people had a mind to work. Now Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed and they were very angry. And all of them conspired together, and I've underlined that, to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause and underline a disturbance in it. A disturbance in it. So we notice a couple of things. Uh, in verse 6 it says when the wall got about halfway done, about halfway done, and we'll come back to that. 
And so they conspire, all of these conspire to to come against Jerusalem specifically and to cause a disturbance. Now I, I didn't do the map thing today, but if you were to look at the names of these people, what you would find is that on all four sides of where Jerusalem is, this is where these people reside. So they're surrounded. And so they, they, they want to come in and cause a disturbance. And then we also noticed in verse 7 that the opposition doesn't just go away, but it tends to increase the, the, the more they go. So, um, so Sam Ballot wants to get them to stop. And uh, have you noticed that negative people tend to be attracted to one another? And so the, the more negative they get, the more negative people they, they attract. And, and their goal is to fight what it is that God is doing. Well, verse 9, it says, uh, skip down to verse 9, and it says, but we prayed, and I want you to underline we prayed, and that'll be important, to our God because of them, and we set up a guard, underline, we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus, in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, uh, and ourselves, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, uh, they will not know or see until we come upon them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. And I want you to underline the word stop. Put a stop to the work. So you notice, um, we're going to come back to this, but here it says that we prayed. Up to this point in uh, the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah has been praying. But as the opposition continues to increase, now we're going to find that it's no longer just Nehemiah praying, now it's we praying. And that's going to be important. Um, so the third tactic that we're going to find, and uh, so we have resistance, they're going to come up and they want, want to fight. Uh, the third tactic is going to be rumors. Rumors. And so verse 11 and 12, it says, our enemy said they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and put a stop to the work. And we underline the word stop. Now, when the Jews who lived, and I want you to underline, lived near them, lived near them, came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn, where you may turn. So what's taking place here, anytime you, you begin to do what it is that God's called you to do, you, you begin to launch out in some way, there's going to be that resistance. And sadly at times there, there's going to be those rumors that are said about you, whether they question your, you know, your competence or they question your, your motives, whatever it might be. And, and rumors have two characteristics that we see in this story. There on your outline, one of the things that we notice is that rumors are spread by those who are closest to the enemy. Closest to the enemy. And uh, verse 12, we had you underline, it says, when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times. So the, the ones who reside closest to the enemy are always the ones who are the most negative and they're the ones who spread. And then another thing that we find is that the, another characteristic of rumors is that they're exaggerated the more that they are repeated. Has anybody ever, ever noticed this in their life? They're, they're exaggerated the more that they're repeated. And um, sadly, the, the more sometimes rumors are exaggerated, the more they're believed. And so uh, we're, we're seeing that here because the negative always gets exaggerated. So sadly, there, there are rumors sometimes. Well, um, and there's two goals then of the opposition. 
And uh, go ahead and write these down and then we'll look at the verse. Uh, The first goal is to hinder and to stop the work of God. They always want to hinder and stop the work of God. So in in verse 8 it says, uh, they all conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause a disturbance in it. If if they can get God's people off of doing what it is that God's called them to do and just dealing with the disturbance, that hinders it. And uh, if they can get them long enough, hopefully that'll stop it. But then in verse 11 it said that our enemies said they, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. So, so anytime God calls you to something, the opposition always wants to either hinder what it is that God is doing, and ultimately they, they want to stop what it is that God is doing. So what's the effect then of the opposition? Well, verses 10 and 11, it says, it says, thus it was said in Judah, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish. And we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and put a stop to the work. So when we read that we might miss it, but go ahead and write this down and we'll unpack it. The, the, the effect of this, of the opposition, is, is typically discouragement. You want to write that down. You know, they start listening to, to this and they go, what are we thinking? I mean, we don't really know what we're doing. We don't really have the resources to accomplish what it is that God's called us to do. You know, maybe we should stop and uh, again, if I can just highlight, uh, this usually occurs in the project, whatever it is that God's called you to do, about halfway. And uh, we saw that in verse 6. In verse 6 it said, so we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. And uh, if you don't believe it's true about halfway, just ask yourself, how many projects do you have at home that are about halfway done? <laughs> yes, I see that hand in a I see that hand. Is there another? For those of you listening online, thousands of hands are going up all over the auditorium. All of us, all of us. So, so what, are the, what are the causes then of the discouragement that, that the opposition would love to use uh, against us? What are the, the causes? So there in your outline, number one, I want you to write down fatigue. Fatigue. In verse 10, in my translation it says, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. If uh, you have the NIV translation, which I think brings it out a little bit more clearly, I put it on the outline, it says strength is giving out. You know, they're, they're working, there's long days, there's double duty, there's no coffee breaks, and so they're, they're, they're getting tired. And so when they get tired, uh, that, that creates discouragement. Another, another cause of the discouragement in this is going to be frustration. Frustration. Now in my translation it would say, yet there is much rubbish. If you have the NIV translation it says so much rubble. Frustration is actually a a, uh, matter of perception. It's a matter of perception. The the reality is the more they work the less rubble there is as they go forward. And and yet what we find is that um, God's people at this point aren't focusing in on what God has done and what God wants to do. Right now they're focusing in on what isn't done. And uh, so they need to remember what it is that God has done already and what it is that God has called them to do. But that leads to frustration. And then number three, I want you to write this down, failure. And uh, 
it says, in my translation, it says, we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. And uh, if you have the NIV translation, I put it there in your outline, it says, we cannot rebuild. You know, the, the truth is, when you're tired, everything looks impossible. When you're tired, everything looks impossible. So, so there's, there's failure. And then there's just fear. Go ahead and write that down. I put verse 11 there on your outline from the Living, the living Bible, and it says this. Meanwhile, our enemies were planning to swoop down upon us and kill us, and thus ending our work. So they're, you know, they're, they're afraid of that, they're, they're discouraged, the enemy is threatening to attack, and it's the same thing with us. If God's called us to something in our lives as, as individuals or corporately as a church, what Satan did 2,500 years ago is the very same thing that he wants to do today. So we're all going to face these things in our life. So you've prayed and you believe that God's leading you and maybe it's to get out of debt, maybe it's to start a business, maybe it's to start a ministry, maybe it's to, to work on your marriage and, and you, you begin to go forward and all of a sudden there's some Tobiah in your life telling you that it can't be done and criticizing everything to death or just the, the situation just seems so great. But you know, that, you know that God's called you. The enemy, just like in Nehemiah's life, will do everything that he can to bring that discouragement. So uh, you, you believe that God's called you to, to do something and they show up and they begin to question your motives. You know, you're trying to do this for yourself, about building your kingdom, whatever it is. And, and so they'll question that. They'll question your motives. And maybe, maybe it's just something uh, like you're single here today and God's given you a, a vision for what a marriage could be. Uh, but right now you've had to say no to some dates because you know that the dates that are showing up are not in keeping with the vision that God is giving you. And uh, there are some Tobias in your life who are saying things like, well, you know, you need to jump on the next train here. And uh, yeah, they're not spiritual, but they're good looking and God can always make them spiritual, but he can't make them better looking. So you need to do something. You know, and, and so you're, you begin to, to wonder, what do I, and, and, and yet you come back to that vision. What is it God's called me to do? So no matter, no matter what it is, the, the reality is this, that you and I, when God has called us to something, we, we are going to face opposition. And I think this is such an important thing because there is this teaching that seems to be flying around the church that says, you know, if God's called you to it, you're going to know because every door just opens, 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 and everything just becomes so easy. And that's how you know that you're in the center of God's will because everything just begins to work out perfectly. Well, that's not how we typically find it in the Bible. Typically what we find in the Bible is that when God says go, Satan's going to oppose. So if that's the case, um, what do you and I do as believers who want to represent the Lord? What do we do when we're under that attack? We, we, we have what it is that God's called us to do, but there's lots of opposition. Well, a couple of things I want to say as we kind of bring this to, to a close. Number one, pray. Pray. Verses four and five, it says, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and not let their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. Now, that might not sound very spiritual to you, but it bears witness with my spirit. <laughs> when you read a commentary on this, a commentary will typically say, Nehemiah is launching out to do what it is that God has called him to do. 
And the opposition is fighting against what God wants to accomplish. So because the opposition is fighting against what God wants to do, Nehemiah is ticked. He's angry. And um, so, so, so he prays, and he prays a very real prayer. I love some of the prayers in the Bible. For instance, David. David was a man, that the Bible says, who had a heart after God, had a heart for God. And uh, one of the prayers that he prayed, I put it there in your outline, it's in some Psalm 58. David said this, David prayed, O oh God, shatter their teeth in their mouth. And God said, hey, let's put that in the Bible. <laughs> now I'm reading it, I'm like, hey, let's leave that out of the Bible. God says, no, we're going to put that in the Bible. Now, in the same way, Nehemiah is bugged. Uh, They're attacking what it is that God is doing. And, and uh, he says, don't, don't let this pass, God. You need to do something about that. Now let me just say this. God doesn't actually answer either of those two prayers, just so, so that you know that. But, but what we do notice is that Nehemiah doesn't take it out on Samballot and Tobiah. What he does is he goes and he spends time with the Lord and he shares some very real prayers. I can tell you that in my life, uh, some of the prayers that I've prayed might not have always been so syrupy spiritual, but they have been real. He doesn't take it out on Tobiah and Samballot, but he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. And I think the Lord likes it when we go to him and we say, Lord, this is where I'm at. And so God uses that. Does that make sense? So real prayers are, are good things, even if we're not always in that super spiritual place. So Nehemiah responds to the situation by praying. And one of the things that I'm asking is over the course of the next three days, uh, part of what we're praying for is what it is that God wants to do through the life of this church. And we certainly launch forward, and yet there's a great deal of opposition. And, and you know all the things that we've talked about, we've certainly seen. So I'm asking that, that we pray. And uh, so, so over the course of the next three days, be praying about that as part of, of your prayer time. Um, so we notice that he prays, but then he prepares. Now in verse 9, chapter 4, it says, but we prayed to our God and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. So I want you to underline we set up a guard against them day and night. So he's prayerful, but then at the same time he's very practical. And so each night, you know, there's there's a, a prayer, and yet God still calls us to be practical. So he prays, and then they set a guard. We need to protect ourselves. So in the same way, I really believe, you know, every night I pray that God protects our family at our house, and so, but I still, I lock the front door, I turn the alarm on, I load the 45. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's already loaded. So... <laughs> I believe that God has a great plan for my life, and you know God's given me the, this this wonderful family. It's been an incredible journey, and, and that God has so much that He wants to accomplish. And in order for that to be accomplished, I have to be around for a long time. So, so I, I, I get that. But on the other hand, I still have life insurance. So there's the the prayerful side, and then there's the practical side. So we, we need to pray, and then we prepare, which is why I think Jesus would say in Matthew 26 on your outline, he says, watch and pray. So there's the prayer, there's, and then there's the practical side. So up to now, Nehemiah has been praying, but, but now it's we are praying. 
So again, verse 9, it says, but we prayed, but we prayed. And the reason for that is a corporate attack requires a corporate response. So it's not one person attacking, it's, it's groups of people. So God's people have to pray. So again, over the course of the next few days, ask you to, as part of your prayer, be praying for what it is that God wants to do in the life of our church. So here, here's what we learn from that, and you want to write this down, that sometimes we have to build and battle at the same time. We have to build and battle at the same time. Verses 16 through 18, it says, from that day on, and I've underlined that, from that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. Now as for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. While the trumpeter stood near me. You know, the enemy would love nothing more than to see Nehemiah just completely stop building and focus on the possible battle. And so Nehemiah says, I, I, I need to keep building, and yet at the same time we need to be pre- preparing because there might be a battle. You just can't stop building every time there's a, a, you know, to put out every fire that, that comes along. But know this, any time that you begin stepping out for the Lord, there's going to be opposition, and that opposition will do anything it can do to hinder or stop the work, and they'll use every tactic that they know. So Nehemiah responds to the opposition by, by first praying, then preparing, and then he calls the people to, and I want you to write this down, to remember the Lord. Verses 13 and 14, he says, Then I stationed men at the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, and the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families, and I've underlined in families, with their swords, spears, and bows. Now when I saw their fear, I rose up and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them, remember the Lord, underline that, remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses." So it's not that the people who are called by God to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem wanted to battle. Uh, It was that there was going to be an attack on them. So this wasn't their heart at all to to battle. And, And it's interesting, he stations them by families because the reality is that he knows that they will fight for their families. And so he has a little bit of wisdom there. But he says, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Now when he says that, what he's saying in that, it's, it's remember that we didn't think this up. This is something that God called us to do. We didn't just decide to do this, God called us to do it. And uh, so, so let's not forget who's called us to do this. You know, maybe, maybe our critics are right. Maybe we don't know what we're doing. Maybe uh, we're not as competent as we could be or should be. But we have something that they don't have, and what we have is that God called us. God called us to do something. So it's always that way when God calls you to do something. So I want you to write this down there in your outline. If God got us in it, then God will have to get us through it. God got us in it, he has to get us through it. So when when we evaluate criticism in light of our own abilities and our own resources, then very naturally we're going to become discouraged. But when we evaluate criticism uh, through what it is that God's called us to do, then it, it changes completely the picture. 
because we realize that God already has all of that worked out some way. So Nehemiah prays, he prepares, he remembers the Lord. And then number four, very important, I want you to write this down, he revises the plan, revises the plan. So verse 16, it says, from that day on half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields and the bows and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. So when Nehemiah finds out that they're that they are planning to attack. He realizes that he needs to go forward, but he also has to revise the plan. And so it says, from that day on. Now, the, the original plan was 100% of everybody was going to spend 100% of the time building the wall. New plan based upon the attack is that 50% of the people are going to be building the wall, 50% of the people are going to be standing by. This principle is far more important than we might think. And simply for this, because there's, there's a big difference between a vision that God gives us and a plan. So I want you to write this down. Here's the difference. The vision never changes. Nehemiah is going to build the wall. And so the vision never changes. But plans change all the time. Plans change all the time. So here, here's what, what it's going to mean for Nehemiah as this takes place. It, it means it's going to take a little bit longer it's going to be a little bit more of a hassle, but it's still going to get done. When God gives you a vision to accomplish something in your life, there's going to come a time when you will have to revise the plan. The vision never changes, just the plan changes. And that's just one of the things, and that's important because sometimes we think if we had to change the plan, then God wasn't in it in the first place. Nothing could be further from the truth. Here Nehemiah changes the plan, the vision stays the same. Does that make sense? So if you, you're, because your vision never changes what it is that God's called you to do, you have plan A and then you have plan B. And so if plan A doesn't work out, you go to plan B. If that doesn't work out, you go to plan C. You go all the way to plan Z. Uh, hopefully that doesn't get that bad, but the idea is that you keep going. And so that leads us to number five. Uh, we have to refuse to give up. When God gives you a vision, you have to refuse to give up. So ultimately, the attack doesn't come. Verse 15, it says, Now when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that, here's what I want you to underline, God had frustrated their plan. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. Now they're still going to go 50-50 at that point. But, but at some point, as the people pray, God frustrates the plan of the opposition. Uh, maybe God has given you a vision for your life and maybe at some point you shelved the vision because there was so much opposition or, or because you had to change plans. Or maybe somebody ridiculed you. You know, One of the interesting things about ridicule is uh, for those of us who've ever been in the military, we know that we'll give our life for our country and we don't think anything. But sometimes a little bit of ridicule can completely paralyze us. And so, so maybe, maybe that took place in your life. God gave you a vision, but there was ridicule. There was opposition. There was a Tobiah in your life that criticized everything that you did, questioned your motives. And I would encourage you, go back to that vision, even if you have to change the plan a couple of times, and let God accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish in your life. Maybe you launched and it didn't work out. And, and again, let the plans change, but never let the vision change. 
Well, over the course of uh, the next couple of days, we're going to be praying and fasting. And I, I believe that as a church, we've experienced some of this. And so if we have, I would guess that many of us in some areas of our life that we've sensed the Lord calling us to step forward, and as we've stepped forward, there's been criticism, rumors, there have been questioning motives and all of that. I would pray over the course of the next three days that as we pray for what it is that God wants to do in the life of this church and some of the challenges that we face, also be praying, Lord, what is that vision that you gave me? And maybe dust that off if you have to, or if you need to, and say, Lord, let's get back to that. Let's get back to that. Maybe the, cha- the plans needed to change, but the vision never needs to change. Does that make sense? And with that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we wrap this up today, here's my prayer. Lord, as uh, we go forward as a congregation, we're praying, God, that you work out the opposition, that you do what only you can do. And Lord, I love how it says that the, the, the Lord frustrated their plans. Father, there are so many places where in our life as a church, our lives and family, our lives as individuals, and what it is that you've called us to do, Father, we we need you to frustrate the plan so that we can go forward and do what it is that you've called us to do and the way that you've called us. Father, I pray that over the course of the next three days, as we take that time and focus prayer, that, that you would be speaking to each and every one of us, that we would hear you in a very specific way and that maybe, Lord, in this time, it's just a, a more of a clarification of what it is that you want to accomplish in us and through us. So God, I pray that you're with us over the next couple of days. Speak to us, reveal yourselves, illuminate things from your word, burn those things deep inside of our spirit. And then, Lord, keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>